The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. And of course, that's all part of IG Private Wealth Management. And you can call them 905-972-7420 or donfox.net to find out more. Good morning, Don. Good to see you all. And look, you brought Jay Llewellyn with you. Yes. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? Did you all uh, survive uh, last week's Halloween? You got through that? Is the candy, is the house rid of candy now, or are you still picking away there? Thank, thankfully, they, we've snuck a few behind the scenes, this, the tuck and the lunch bucket. So, uh, yeah, yeah, got a couple more pieces to go. But uh, we're, uh, <laughs> we literally have to recruit kids and make yeah. sure the neighbors bring them over. We're in a bit of a rural area. Yeah. And so, I, you know, they usually take off to the suburbs somewhere. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a, quick, a couple of quick taxes. They bring them over here and then they, off they go. So the Halloween's more for you and not the kids. Yeah, likely. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Well, crunchy of- bars are my favorite in case you want to know. So Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's Crunchy. a big glass of milk. You're off and running. <laughs> Uh, you know, speaking of Halloween, sometimes this involves relationships. Uh, some people want to do it one way. Some people want to do it another way. There's the segue. So, Jay, oh. you want to talk about relationships and money. Are, are you sure you want to go down this road? Uh, yeah, it's a little touchy subject, but uh, I don't know how you segued that, but that was really good. Well, well done. <laughs> so relationships and money. Yeah, I want to talk about that. It's just it's something that uh, is kind of the the uh they sweep it under the rug often in relationships and it's not talked about enough and i just wanted to kind of start from ground zero how couples set the tone when they first even start dating um from the moment they start dating they they pick their their restaurants they go to so some some people go to mcdonald's and some people go to fancy restaurants trying to impress one another um and then you know then it goes on to what types of gifts are they buying for each other are they buying extravagant gifts trying to impress each other again uh some go into debt to buy those gifts so you set the tone right off the bat by doing stuff like that and and it it really it really can set yourself up for the rest of your lives uh and not look so good so you know types of trips you take um to the planning of the wedding um often when when you're in a in a situation where you're the two of you have to figure out what's going on and I don't want to be uh, sexist, but you know, a woman will decide what's going on in the wedding and the man, man just kind of sits there and lets it all happen. Well, they both need to be involved in, in setting a budget. Um, and, and it, it's really important because if you, if you've got two, two savers, let's say that are, are scrimping and not, not spending the money on the, on the most, probably one of the most important times of your life, or you've got two spenders that are spending crazy amounts of money, uh, on the wedding and going into debt, or you've got a spender and a saver. So then there's conflict that way. So I, I look at, uh, relationships and right from the start from that wedding, um, things can get a little hairy. So it goes way beyond the guest list and, and, and picking the menu. So actually, setting Jay, a budget. It's, uh, yeah, it's go actually ahead. interesting. Um, you know, probably one of the number one reasons for marriage breakdown. It's always number one or number two is finances. Hmm. And I would, I could say for sure. There's a lot of the times that wedding hasn't even been paid off yet. And they've already gone their separate, separate ways mm-hmm. because of the stress of, of not running their finances correctly. So no, this is a important topic. 
you know, it's interesting during the pandemic, a lot of people scaled down their wedding plans and changed the way they were doing things during during the pandemic and, and made it a lot smaller because they were forced to. So it saved a lot of money and saved a lot of people going into debt, like you said, Don. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we see it all the time where people got these mystery debts that, you know, they've been married for three or four years and they've got a line of credit for, for 20 or 30 grand and you ask them what it was for. And they said, oh, it was just odds and ends and the wedding, you know. And and <laughs> that was pay- that was pre-wedding debt, and we don't need to discuss pre-wedding debt, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know you have to have a, a game plan, and if there's other goals that you have, again, when Don and I sit down with clients and they've got they've got student debt, or they've got you know they want to put a down payment on a home or something like that, and they've racked up all kinds of money on this wedding. Um, it really puts them in a compromised position going forward. So um, be on the same page, really talk about it, work through those finances and be full disclosure of where you are before you get into the wedding. So if you've already got a, a mountain of debt going into the wedding um, and, and the other spouse doesn't know that, um, and then you're, you're racking up all kinds of debt for the actual wedding itself, it's like a, it's a time bomb. So you really want to have those conversations. I know weddings are very important. It's a special day. It's, it's probably the most important day for the rest of your life as a couple. Um, but you, you really don't want to be taking on debt. You're going to have to pay over a lifetime. So maybe uh, part of the financial plan should be eloping. sure yeah well that can get expensive too a lot of people they elope they they go to these destination weddings yeah and they they bring you know 45 people with them and pay for grandma and grandpa and and the the wedding gets out of control as well and then they come back and have another wedding just because the people that couldn't make it they they have a wedding here as well so yeah i don't know that that sometimes works i just don't know if it's always the best uh the best financial decision so uh, beyond the wedding, you know, couples, uh, as I was mentioning, need to be completely transparent. So before you before you tie the knot, you, you definitely want to be completely transparent on where everything is and what what your goals are and concerns are. Um, but it's rarely, you know, as Don mentioned, it's it's rarely talked about. Uh, most people don't want to talk about finances, and uh, to, especially to their significant other, whether it's shame or whether it's it's just an uncomfortable situation. There was a study recently by the Global Mail. Um, 30% of couples talk about finances once or twice a year. 5% of couples never talk about finances, just don't mm-hmm. talk about it, period. So, and then, but like as Don said, a lot of relationships break down because of finances, because uh, 50% of all uh, marriages um, in this study, 50% of all marriages, finances are the top stress. So no one wants to talk about it, but it's the biggest stress. And I think that goes hand in hand that they're not talking about it. And that's what's causing all the stress. So they really need to talk about it. So I have a couple of good ways to, for clients or, 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 or listeners to, to get, get to the bottom of it or get to that discussion or, or start the ball rolling. Number one is sit down with a financial planner. Once a year, sit down with your financial planner, two of you at the table and discussing what's going on and have that mediator or that, that person at the table, that financial planner to, to really shed some light on what's going on and, and put all your cards on the table. Don't, don't hide anything um, and make that, that discussion very wholesome and, and, and beneficial. Um, the other way is to keep a monthly budget. So best if you both do it together. One person can be doing all the data entry, but both of you have to be involved and know what's going on and, and know what's in that budget. Having the responsibility on one person uh, really can cause a lot of stress on a relationship. If if both of you are reviewing it on a regular basis, um, that they know what's going on in the finances and, and know where you're at um, going forward on a monthly basis into the year. Um, 
other thing is create a list of financial goals. So you, you create your own goals. So a husband and a wife or, or a couple that's together, one person sets their goals and writes it down. Maybe their top three goals, financial goals on one piece of paper. The other person writes down their top financial goals and collaborate them together and see if they're on the same page. And if they're not, then you can have a discussion and it'll generate a discussion when you know that, you know, you're not on the same page. If one wants to pay down debt and one wants to go on trips, um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do in a relationship. So you really have to hash that out and it, it'll make things a lot better in the household if everyone knows where they're at. If one person really wants wants to pay down debt and one doesn't, um, you really have to have that conversation. It's kind of interesting, Jay, when you see those two people, they usually do not want to end the marriage over this. So the saver seems to always gravitate to the spender. It doesn't seem the other way around. Right. And right. it's like, okay, well, you know what? You can't beat them, join them. It's oh, it's way more fun to spend. And they don't always want to be the, you know, the hard one, always say, no, we can't afford this. And they say, you know what? It's It's got to be a team. It really does to make this work. Yeah, it's interesting. If you set those goals, and often, let's say, even if you put five goals down on, on paper and, and, and one of them is the same, at least you can focus on that one goal. Um, and if it's not a, hopefully it's not a spending goal, hopefully it's a save, <laughs> saving or paying down debt goal. But if, if they both want to pay down their mortgage or pay down student debts or something like that, and that's one of the common goals, work on that goal together and have a, have a plan that they're going to accomplish that one goal or two goals or whatever they've got in common and celebrate that goal. You know, if they, if they can accomplish it, I'm not saying, you know, go on a fancy trip or anything like that, but, and definitely accomplish uh, a goal and celebrate it. It's, it's something to be proud of. Um, the other thing is have conversations with friends, families, uh, teammates, uh, coworkers, uh, have those conversations with them. And then it just makes that conversation a lot easier when you're talking with your spouse or, or better half. Um, if you can have those conversations with coworkers, I'm sure you can have it with your spouse. So a lot of people don't realize that, you know, having those conversations around the water cooler, make it a lot easier to have those conversations with your spouse. The other one is a little bit of a stretch here. And maybe just because Don and I are money men, this is why I think it's a good one, but have a money date actually go on a date and talk about finances, you know, wow. make it, a, make it a light, a light conversation, go for dinner and, and enjoy the night, but talk about money. And it doesn't have to be stressful. Um, if it's talked about it on a regular basis, um, it's on the top of your mind and, and it's a little bit easier. Yeah. A money date, a little bit, yeah. a little bit of a stretch, but uh, I, you take, I was, do you take separate I, I, cars? Yeah. And, well, I don't even go there, Don. What about sitting around the uh, kitchen table with a bag lunch? Let's start this off. Right. <laughs> And then maybe you can finish it with a couple of shots. Maybe that's the incentive to get through this. Well, we have a client that sets, uh, uh, he has a monthly budget and, or they have a monthly budget, sorry, not he, uh, they have a monthly budget, depending on how good or bad they do with the budget. Um, they celebrate and they decide, well, if they stuck to stick to their budget and, and accomplish their goals for the, for the day or for the month, um, they pick a different venue. So if they didn't do well with their budget for the month, you know, it's two for one at Subway. And if, <laughs> and if, and if they did do well, then they go for a nice steak dinner. So it's, you, you definitely have to make it a, it's not a game, but you definitely have to celebrate your wins and, and be penalized if you're not, if you're not sticking to that budget. Um, many couples today have very different uh, views on money. And if, if you don't put that first and foremost and have those decisions made by with a couple and have that, that heart to heart, 
conversation at the beginning. And then as it goes on every month or every couple of weeks or every, every, every year, definitely revisit and, and see where you are in terms of what you're going to do with your finances and, and what's important to you. Um, I, I look at uh, today, you know, a lot of people, Mitchell's talked about it before. And I think Don's talked about it before on the show, just about coming up with the down payment for houses and things like that. And it's, it's really difficult to come up with that down payment today. If you haven't put all those those things in place, especially like a budget like we're, we've been talking about today. Um, the one thing that I looked at, um, we were looking at an article and in the past year, uh, there was $10 billion gifted to kids um, from their parents. And that's a lot of poor planning and a lot of a lot of wedding planning that that money that was spent on a wedding definitely could have been spent on a on a down payment. So, yeah, it's definitely getting out of control with what what has to happen with these parents having to to help out kids. Um, you know, the average gift in Toronto last year was one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. So wow. there's 10 percent. Oh, yeah. One hundred and thirty thousand wow. dollars for a down payment. Who are these uh, parents? Yeah, I don't know. And, and Vancouver, <laughs> Vancouver, it's even worse. I was reading the article and Vancouver, it's 180,000. The average wow. gift, the average gift. So 10% of all down payments last year were gifts, mm. uh, which is incredible. Um, wow. Again, it's becoming a strategy, isn't it? Uh, planning your financial future. That's what we're doing. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Jay Llewellyn as well. You can contact them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 905- 972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management now, 905-972-7420. And don't forget about the website, donfox.net. Hey, I didn't realize this. November is Financial Planning Month. Yeah, financial literacy month to be exact, and it's a it's a it's a big deal, Scott. Like everybody should know this. Uh, I should have marked an X on my calendar here. What what does this involve? I you know what it's free just, services for a month. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know what? Uh, what's your definition of free? Value. Uh, <laughs> exactly value that's that's the biggest difference but you know it's kind of interesting I, I my wife and i we went and celebrated our 35th anniversary last week wow in vancouver island thank you and we we're talking with a guide and and his girlfriend and she came up says oh, oh financial planning and she was interested in it what we need is more information for financial literacy and i thought wow first of all the fact she used that word, I said, you're already ahead of the game that you're interested in. She is. She's always looking up data. And I said, well, just tune in to donfox.net on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. And you'll get a whole bunch of literacy right there, which she might be listening at this time for that matter. But you can see there is an appetite to gain more knowledge in this area, because at the end of the day, there's less and less pension plans. There's more and more people having to look after their own money and people are living longer. So if we do not learn this and act on some of this information as we go through, it's going to put you behind the eight ball. Mm. And so one study, and I like to just study how patience is a, is a virtue when it comes to investing. And it's interesting, if you go all the way back from 1926 to 2020, the average rate of return 
in the U.S. stock market was 10%. So it seems pretty easy. Just throw your money in the U.S. stock market, make 10%. Done. Um, not quite as easy. It actually works out to about 6.5% above inflation. Um, it, you know, regardless if you went into the Canadian stock market, emerging markets, U.S. or Europe, they're all similar. U.S. has been one of the better ones. Emerging markets has been the highest, but it also has the most volatility. But usually a, a, a portfolio of all the world markets is the best approach. Now, in the last 10 years, the U.S. and the emerging markets have been the two best areas. But the biggest thing we get asked, Jay, and the whole team, and I'm sure every financial planner out there gets asked all the time, what if you invested at the worst possible time? And right now, this seems to be an appropriate conversation because we're hitting all-time highs right now in the NASDAQ and the Toronto stock market, and the Dow Jones, all the indexes around the world we're seeing, oh, hit a new all-time high. So maybe now is not the right time. And this is always a, a debate because timing is almost impossible. In fact, uh, the best investors in the world would say it's impossible. So the actual worst day since 1920, so post-war, was October 9th. 2007. So this was almost a year before the big financial meltdown, but it was the peak. The S&P hit 1,565. Uh, 1, so that's just the index number. So that's kind of a benchmark. So think about that number for a sec as we go through. By mid-2008, September mid of 2008, Lehman Brothers filed bankruptcy. And by March 9th, 2009, the S&P 500 was now at 677. Okay, that's a 57% decline in 17 months. So how do you like this so far, right? Hmm. <laughs> now you put your money into this investment and you're down 57% on your money. In fact, it took until, if you just sat on it, it took until 2013 to break even six years later. So you put your money in at the worst time, and six years later, you broke even. In fact, during the long the way, in 2011, there was another 20% decline. There's all this thing, okay, we're going to have a second wave, more or less. It'll be another drop. Um, they're not over yet, and it's difficult to stay there. And then, of course, we just went, there was another 20% decline in 2018, and a COVID crash just, uh, you know, just over a year ago, 34% uh, in 33 days. So volatility is part of investing. But what if you invested your whole entire nest egg, all the money you got and you stuck it in the US stock market at the worst time? What would it what would your rate of return been now? What do you think, Scott? Um I think eventually it works its way out, doesn't it? Well, that's actually uh pretty darn good, Scott. Like exactly works its way out. In fact, it got right back to the 10% average. Yeah. Okay, you had actually got a 14-year return of 10% per year. Well, again, uh, that's the old story about do I open the envelope this month or do I just put it away and wait till next month? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And this is the, the key. But who would have thought after six years, you had a 0% return. You already watched your money. So if you invest in, say, 100000 it's down to 43000 like 17 months later. Yeah. And it finally got back to 100,000 six years later. Now, most people, is, are they patient enough to keep that going and say, it's going to average 10%, trust me on this, over 14 years. And I would say most people don't do a very good job 
in having those patients. And th- that you know, being that being said, Don, by the time they're reacting, it's far too late anyway. So you're better just to let it run its course. No, that's uh, very logical, Scott. <laughs> um, oh, so weirdly enough logic and emotions don't seem to go very well yeah and uh and that is absolutely the right answer it will run its course it will you have to have this faith um in fact if you look really look at the bigger picture so some people will say well 14 years who has 14 years to yeah. get your money back well i'd say well i would hope you have at least 14 years to get your money back in fact 14 years to make a 10 percent rate of return um, when you look at it in a bigger picture, it takes, you know, you work 30 to 35 years, sometimes longer. Mm-hmm. You live off that money for another 30 years. So at the end of the day, you have to be patient. Life is a long game. And it's hard to, when you read the papers and the news, and of course, there's the markets are crazy and different things with GameStop last year, uh, meme stocks, cryptocurrencies, marijuana stocks, like you have these, these, you know, topics of the day or that come up. And so patience is, is one of the virtues. In fact, it's the second most important virtue of investing is patience. Number one is simply patience. Okay. Sorry, is faith. Faith in the future is number one. And how do you have that faith when you when you read every article out there and you think, OK, it's going to it's going to all work out. You really have to always just use that one adage. This sh- this too shall pass. And that really is it's hard to have that kind of faith, but it's, it's extremely important if you're going to end up with a 10 percent rate of return as the markets have done. Number two is patience. Number three is discipline and having a plan, having that generally speaking, having a financial planner to keep you to that plan and to continue to work on that plan. So extremely important. So it all sounds easy. Okay. Faith, patience, have discipline, piece of cake. I'm in. I got, you know, we'll do extremely well. And, you know, when I, when we see portfolios, we'll often see, you know, somebody's amassed a fair bit of money and let's say they've had a million dollars they built up over their lifetime. Fantastic. Good for them. But at the same token, should it really have been 1 million or could it have been 2 million? Okay. You, often we don't see what's missing because what mistakes were made along the way to amass a million, it could have been two. No, they still, good for them. They, they got to a million. Perhaps if they did a lot wrong, they would only have a half a million. But that's the whole idea of compound interest. It makes a big difference. So faith, I, I remember, and Jay, I'm sure you remember too, going through the 08, 09 financial crisis. Mm-hmm. It was depressing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, CNN, we we nicknamed it constant negative news back then. Hmm. Yeah, there was there was during that time. I remember it was just it was so heavy with fear and greed. People people earlier a year earlier were were greedy as anything, and then you know six months later they were fearing the world was coming to an end. So it was just the emotional roller coaster was unbelievable during that time. Uh, absolutely insane. It was people literally were were um, getting depressed. I, mm-hmm. I actually had to tell two clients that uh, they should seek, you know, go see their doctor. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, they actually got medication because they were just, the news was a play-by-play of the stock market. And all they saw is how much dollars they went down. And it's, it's weird. When the money goes down, it goes down by dollars. How much money did I lose? But it goes up. It usually goes up by percentages. Oh, is that all I made? I made 8%. They don't talk about the money going up as much as, but it's down its dollars and, and what it took to earn those dollars. So you have to 
really look at percentage on the both on both down and up. Now, I got to tell you, though, there wasn't if you turned off the news, you go to a website. Um, yeah, that was also no good. If you happen to look at the newspaper, I remember one piece of paper. It was right at the bottom of the market in March of, of uh, 2009. The whole paper was black and it was white writing just to show how much, how bad it is out there and no end in sight. That was right at the bottom. Had you have bought because that paper did this, it would have been the best time to buy because it started to go up after that. But this is all the media. And again, fear sells and bad news sells. So, so you know, it, it grabbed everybody's attention. If it was just so sunny skies, people's, oh, just, oh, that's good. I guess I'm doing okay. They won't even read it. So it, it grabbed everybody's attention. And I got to say, the banks didn't help clients at all either. In fact, they played on these fears. We had a number of banks um, that would literally take clients' portfolios and suggest to them that this is too risky and they should pull out and move it into GICs right when the market was down. And they literally, some of the banks, and I know Royal Bank of One, had more money moved to money market funds during that time, which was just sitting on the sidelines, not invested, cashing in, selling low, and putting it on the sidelines. So you had the banks who were telling you one thing, the experts were telling, it was like Jay and I against the world to a certain extent in our team. And thank God there's a lot of good literature out there. Nick Murray is, a, is, is great and saying, what a great time to buy. And, but it's hard when everybody around you is telling you one thing to have that faith. So faith is extremely important. As we said, patience, um, again, extremely important that 14 years, had you had your entire nest egg of 500,000 and you thought, well, I'm just riding it out. I'm letting it sit there and I'm waiting 14 years. And you watched it go from 500 to under 250 and six years later, five got to 500 again. It would be worth almost $2 million today, $1.9 million just by having the patience. So running out of, um, to be honest, running out of money is the biggest fear people should have. And I understand that. Yes, Scott. How does that time compare to what we're going through now with a pandemic? Because there's a lot of fear now. Uh, and, and coming through this year and a half or so, more than that now, of a pandemic, and things are getting more expensive, money's tight, people are concerned. Is it the same sort of feeling as it was back then? Uh, very much so. A, a little easier this time because we had a six-month downturn where it kind of took us broadsided about the fear of health. Um, and so all the newspapers were talking about health, not about money as much. So that took the headlines and about this pandemic, which of course we haven't had anything like this um, in the in the recent history. I guess the swine, I guess you can go Spanish flu or something like that, but it's been a long time. And again, even the stock markets back then, who knows what they were doing. So it's different this time. Had it continued, the markets continued to be down for a, a year rather than six months, um, it would have been different because the market went down 30, 33% in 34 days. Hmm. and six months plus a day, it had recovered. Yeah, I think it's a distant memory for a lot of people. They, it was almost like they didn't, like you said, Scott, they didn't open their statements for six months because they were fearing yeah. what was going to happen. They hmm. opened their statements at the end of the year, and they thought everything was good again. So I think yeah. people, uh, like Don said, fear and greed again. Um, right now, people are, are almost on that top of that greed scale or getting close to that greed 
greed, top of the, the greed point, because they didn't see it really drop. It dropped for a short period and came right back. So now they're looking at it and say, well, the market just keeps going up. This is easy. And, yeah. and that's not that's not always the case. Hmm. Yeah. And, and now we're getting definitely the greed side, because again, as Jay just mentioned, we've been on a bit of a roll. Things are, but if you actually look at the charts, it's just a continuation. If you took that little blip down and back up, the market's been doing quite well for a while. It does have recessions. There is one in four years are negative. This always happens, but it's part of owning equities. But remember, six and a half percent above inflation is a pretty darn good return. And uh, there's nothing on a you know safe, if you want to call it safe, bank returns or bank investments or GICs. You're, you're not going to beat inflation after tax. And it, it actually outperforms real estate. And I know a lot of listeners are going to say, oh, wow, my house has doubled in the last 10 years. Well, yeah, well, that's 7% per year return. It's the great return, but you still have to pay property taxes and you still have to redo the kitchen and put a roof on. So it's a little different than investing. An excellent equity investment, though, at the same time. So patience, uh, again, the only way to get that 10% rate of return or 6.5% above inflation is following the plan and having those patients. And finally, discipline, it really comes down to, it's simple. My, my uh, finance prof said many, many years ago, Buy low, sell high. Easy. Okay. And his uh, Asian voice because he was uh, from Japan. And he'd say that at every, every single class we had. Here's a, here's a new trick. Buy low, sell high. And it's so true. So I know, Scott, uh, you're a big believer of dollar cost averaging, adding every month. And those people that bought during that time, during that downturn, end up with a higher rate of return than that 10%. And if you just simply have money when you have it and, and you invest it while you have it, don't time the market. Don't try to guess. You'll do better than the average return. Once you know, again, that that sort of, uh, you know, will perhaps alleviate some of the pain when you see your statement go down. If you're buying every month, you're just purchasing that much more. So I, I don't know. For me, that sort of was a way of always balancing it out in my mind. In fact, actually, you're absolutely right. It's got an opportunity. And so we have these downturns. And you're adding monthly, it's part of your plan. And your financial planner sits down with you and say, okay, here's a, a good time if you have extra money now to buy, because it's 25% sale. And then at the same time, um, it, it's just a, a good strategy and having that discipline. So this is why at the end of the day, with these three virtues of faith, patience, and discipline, this is where a financial planner makes all the difference in the world. And why on average, people that work with a financial planner end up with a net worth of 2.3 times higher than those that don't. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management 905 972 7420. Jay, you want to talk about critical illness insurance. What is this exactly? Sure. Um, yeah, not to be morbid, every time I seem to come on here, I talk about types of insurance and getting hurt and death and disabilities. <laughs> and anyways, today I'm going to talk about critical illness insurance. And I, I really think this is 
you know, there's life insurance, which is really death insurance and critical illness insurance is more like life insurance. So it's, it's there to protect you. If something happens to you, you get a illness, disease, injury that is, is critical enough, uh, possibly life-threatening, but what happens is if you're, if you're diagnosed with one of these 25 different illnesses, diseases, or injuries, um, it pays out a lump sum to you to help you, uh, to help you get better, uh, to, to recover. If you've incurred some expenses uh, when you've, when you've got a critical illness, um, this is a, this is a coverage that pays out a lump sum to, to help you get better. Um, types of injuries or types of types of things. So heart attack, stroke, cancer are the, are the big ones that are, that are covered. Um, severe burns, brain injuries, blindness, deafness, all, all different kidney failure, all types of different illnesses, like I said, um, and a lump sum is paid out. So you pay a certain amount in, into premiums on an annual basis. And then uh, for a certain lump sum type of coverage, very similar to life insurance, you can buy a term 10, term 20, term to 100, term to 75, different types of coverages um, for different needs and, and different wants. Um, one of the interesting things about critical illness insurance is that it has a has a benefit called a return of premium rider. And it doesn't life insurance doesn't have something like this where critical illness does have something like this, where if you pay your premiums over a certain period of time after that term has expired. So let's say after a 15 year period, and again, you can pick any term you like a 10 year or a 20 year or a 15 year, a 30 year return of premium. Um, after those 15 years, let's say in this case, um, all your premiums are refunded back to you. And people say, well, this is, that's a no brainer. If I can just get this insurance coverage for, let's say a hundred thousand dollars, something happens to me, it pays out a hundred thousand dollars. If nothing happens to me, I get all my money back. And I said, that's exactly it. The catch is after those 15 years, if you decide to get all your money back that you've paid in premiums, the policy's canceled. So it, it sounds too good to be true. And, and it is a good thing, but um, the way the insurance company works is they're using that money of your premiums and they're making money off that money on a monthly basis. So they'll gladly give you back your premiums after 15 years. Let's say you've paid into it over the last 15 years, $1,000 a year, for an example, and it's $15,000 you paid into this policy for $100,000 coverage. The insurance company will gladly give you back your $15,000 as they didn't have to pay out the $100,000. So looking at something like this, the insurance company, uh, they want your premiums, but they also don't want to pay out that that big lump sum. So I, I, Don and I both have these policies and we've had them for years. I took one out when my son was born. I took another one out when my daughter was born, um, thinking that I was going to cash it out after 15 years when my kids go to school. Um, I think I thought it was a good way to save on top of our ESPs, save another way and, and force savings plan. Well, now 15 years has passed and my son's 17. And I look at this and I think, geez, the insurance company wants me to cash this thing out. I, I don't want to cash it out. Something's <laughs> going to happen to me, right? Don, Don stresses me out every day. So I'm going to have a heart attack stroke or something. I don't know what's going to happen. But anyways, I, I just think that keeping the policy in place, I've got, I've got the coverage in place. And if something does happen to me, uh, hopefully nothing does happen to me. Um, but if something does happen, um, it pays out that lump sum. And, and if nothing does happen to me, it's been a forced savings plan. And I pay, once you pay into it what it's worth, so once you pay in the $100,000, you can cash it out at any time before that. But once you pay in the $100,000, the policy terminates and, and you get your $100,000 back. So I, I like that option. Um, 
it, it's something that it's not automatic. You don't you don't get it automatically on the policies. You have to elect it as a as a premium rider. Um, it is it is costly, but it, it, it's definitely worth it to get to get all your money back. And it, and who knows, fifteen years from now, if if you decide to get one of these policies, there might be something else better out there. So it gives you the option uh, to cancel the policy if you want after fifteen years or twenty or whatever term you decide. I look at this type of policy as well as it's a policy that um, people people don't think they're going to get sick. People don't think they're going to get get hurt or don't think they're going to get injured. And I, I look at, you know, I have a lot of uh, we have a lot of police officers as clients and, you know, they're in great shape. And when they start out as fresh recruits, they're they're full of all kinds of energy and they, they think they're immortal. And and we ha- we had one policy where we had a police officer get a co- uh, coverage and three years later, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with cancer. Now, he, he fully recovered from the cancer, but um, he had to go through treatments for about two years. So this policy paid out $100,000. He had been paying into the policy for three years, paid four grand into the policy, and it paid out $100,000 to this guy. He was able to take time off work, spend time with his family, make sure he got better and got all the treatment he needed uh, during that that time while he was sick. Um, and, and it was a great you know, I don't like to look at it as an investment, but it was a great return on, on capital that he put towards the, the policy, putting four grand out and getting a hundred grand in return. So unfortunate that he had cancer. He's fully recovered. Thank goodness. Um, but during that time, it was really, really a nice thing to have. That benefit also goes to him tax-free. So that was a nice thing for him to be able to take a year off work and just, and just focus on getting better. Um, you know, human, human nature is that you're, you're not going to, you're not going to get sick and you're fine and you're healthy. Um, the, the, the reality is that it does happen. I think every one of us knows someone that's had a head cancer or a heart attack or stroke. So it's, uh, it, it happens. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Wow, you guys are trying to start the show just in difficult waters like, or end the show rather, in difficult waters like you started. Uh, are women better investors than men? Are you going to go down this road as we uh, finish up our coffee here, <laughs> Well, Don? Jay, Jay started with relationships and money yeah. and all this, and you know, I said, you know what, let's just keep going down this path. <laughs> and, you know, how could that be? You know, the wolves of Wall Street are all men. Like Merrill and Lynch actually were two different people. You know, Goldman was another person. Schwab was a person. E.F. Hutton was another man. Like, these are all men that were the wolves of Wall Street. These are the best investors in the world. You know, Warren Buffett is a man. You know, you go through the list. You don't hear a lot of women. Um, Fidelity, on the other hand, did a, a study and they did a 10 year study and we're talking like five point million accounts they looked at. So this is not just like a rinky dink study over 10 years and just recent, actually 2011 to 2020. So this is current data. And it turned out and this is using their 
their uh, locked in accounts or retirement accounts that they have at group companies. This is their stock accounts where people are trading. These are all diversified accounts. So everything from something you may do at work for something you may do personally. And they looked at the gender of each person and say, okay, what was the performance? And it turned out that women averaged 0.4% per year more than men. Mm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what's 0.4? Well, if you had a half million dollars at 7%, you'd end up with 803,000. You'd say, hey, that's pretty darn good. But if you got 7.4%, you end up at 824,000. That's $21,000 difference. So it's not chump change. And that's in 10 years. It keeps compounding after that. So it's, it's the trading. Was their trading better? Was it, what were they doing differently that made them a better investor? Patience um, and virtue, Don. Patience and virtue. Well, you're right there. It's not how they traded. It's how they didn't trade. Absolutely. Females bought and sold 50% less than men. 50%. And it's kind of interesting. Other companies, Vanguard and others have done similar studies, came out with the exact same results. In fact, there's a classic paper in 2000 in the Journal of Finance titled, Trading is Hazardous to Your Wealth. And it makes sense because this was done in 1991 and 1996. And it found that the people that traded the most earned six and a half percent less than the market. By and you're talking, about, you're talking about transactions, right? On a moving money around and constantly moving money around. Now that yeah. could be, it could be mutual funds, but it's in these cases, I'm sure it was stocks. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, constantly moving the funds around, they end up with six and a half percent per year return worse than the stock market. And so they came out with another study the year later, boys will be boys. And it was from 1997 to 19, uh, 90, 1991 to 1997. And women still, they're not perfect either. They got to 1.7 below the market where men were 2.65 below the market, but still almost a percent difference in terms of returns, which is actually about double the fidelity one. Now I would look at the fidelity one as because they use um, a lot of the um, group RSP accounts, there's less trading in those ones than the personal accounts because employees don't generally move their money around as much, but still um, would be some trading. So why do tr- men trade so much? We are biologically geared and wired for this. It's called testosterone, okay? We can't fight this. And it literally leads to overconfidence. It decreases fear. It increases greed. All the things that we talked about earlier that are bad for investment returns. In fact, you know, testosterone is great. It probably got us to fight that saber-toothed tiger because our muscles were bigger, our reflexes were faster, but it doesn't do well for investing. You know, they actually did a study called the testosterone effect and rating between single men, married men, single women, and married women. And it was literally, that was the order of return. The worst performance came from single men, followed by married men followed by single women and the best performance were married women because they sat on it. They traded less. So it comes down to this confidence. And I know, you know, you, when you're sitting there having that money date that Jay was talking about, this should come by the person not doing, and, and we really highly recommend, by the way, always involving both spouses. Um, when we have a meeting, we always include both spouses because even though one may be the more dominant in terms of uh, looking after the finances, so important that they both get involved and know at least what's going on. And again, having that 
third party involved makes it, it often breaks the ice and makes it a lot easier for the conversation to happen. But the Fidelity did say, okay, well, if you're going to have this conversation, it should really be if you were the, say, the woman and not running the finances, first of all, perhaps you should, okay, based on these studies. But secondly, maybe the question is, okay, well, how much of the money is invested in safe and not moved around? It basically follows an asset allocation approach that our team talks about all the time. How much you want in Canada? How much in US? How much in Europe? How much in fixed income? How much in real estate? And 10%, okay, maybe you want to gamble with some of that. Okay, so 90% plus should be in things that you can count. And if you have maximum 10%, I would even say, argue maybe only 5%, maybe you want to gamble with that. Because at the end of the day, it really comes down to the long-term financial plan, keeping the patience, the virtue, the faith, and the discipline. And probably that makes the biggest difference is having a financial planner at your table with a CFP to make sure you follow this. And not only that, as Jay was pointing out at the very beginning of the show, to act as referee <laughs> right there. Forget the finances. That's worth your money right there. Who wears stripes when you go to the meeting? I think it might be a safe thing. And bring your Fox 40 whistle with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have been planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972-7420. Thanks, guys. Been another great show. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.